So you want to design dynamic combat encounters. Yeah. Well, you know, the kind that will never be forgotten by your players. Well, luckily, we got exactly what you need. Today, we will delve into giving you exactly the tools you need in a simple and easy to use way. Hello and welcome, Heroes of the Crit Academy. I'm your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Ian. And I'm your co-host, Brandon. I'm, I'm your guest, Garvin. Oh, shit. That's right. We got a guest. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that they don't love you. They just didn't notice because the screen wasn't up. Well, then it's conditioned reflex at this point. That's also true, yeah. which is good. Yeah. I'm really excited for our main topic today. Ian, do you want to get us started with how to build dynamic encounters using monster roles well there's no arguing that key to design interesting and very combat encounters is having just as varied groups of monsters by further breaking down monsters into roles we can design even more fantastic and memorable combat encounters absolutely and so uh brandon what are monster roles uh monster roles is what happens when a monster rolls a die to hit you that's true too <laughs> <laughs> That's too O R O L E. Okay, a roll is <laughs> roll is the term we uh, will be using to describe what the particular monster or NPC's job is during the encounter. While some monsters can fit into multiple categories, we are going to focus on what we think they do best over what they might do best in a particular encounter. Yeah, yeah. So uh -huh. one of my favorites is starting with um, artillery. Yeah. Um, so, because it's also A, it's alphabetical. It is alphabetical. <laughs> Fuck. So, it's also the most fun to use. It is. It, it is. Raining <laughs> hell. Um, uh, raining hell down on your uh, players is definitely one. So, artillery monsters excel at ranged combat. Whether they rain explosive fires of hell down arrows or even just chucking javelins, uh, artillery is focused on keeping distance. Uh, during combat that's what they really we want to focus on with a, a creature that we determine as artillery um they tend to be more often than not focus on areas of effect and damage spreading in between multiple targets um and their distant strategies uh um often means that they lack you know more powerful defensive capabilities other than running away and hiding behind somebody right so without a good line oh, of defense yeah. uh artillery can really become uh Dead quick. Death, um, death Haven. So uh, since we got our guest on, Garwin, um, for those of you who don't know, Garwin is our Emerald patron. So thank you so much for your support. Uh, this don't is mention one of it. many perks of being an Emerald patron. Um, when you think artillery, what do you think? What are some of the best ways you can um, uh, get out of artillery? And what are some good monsters examples you would uh, pick up? I think of a trebuchet on the yeah! back of a mammoth. Oh my god. <laughs> I was like, I fucking love trebuchets, but then you said the mammoth part. I was like, oh. Yep. <laughs> it does change it. Yes. <laughs> That's funny. Um, it's how yeah. it went with the seeds in the year for. Uh, what's the name of that place? I don't remember the name of the place, but I went with the seeds in the module for the, uh, the early book for Tiamat. Oh, 
the first the Horde, of the Dra- Horde of the Dragon Queen, I think. Yeah, Horde of the Dragon Queen. Yeah, they were in the middle of travel and just threw a seat to in the way to see what they see what they would do. Okay. Um. So when I think artillery, um, obviously the the most obvious is using a bow and arrow, right? But we can do more with that when we play artillery, right? What are some benefits that you guys would apply to a creature, um, and make use of to get if you're going to categorize it as an artillery? I'd make it slow. Yeah, make it slow, slow makes sense. Uh, AOE also would also make sense too. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So. I- I'd basically decrease its speed and up its damage if whether that means making it do use more dice or spreading out its area of effect. Okay. Uh, so one thing I want to touch on is uh, before the show, Garwin and I had a quick discussion about when you're picking out your monsters and building these categories for your encounters, you can keep monsters as they are, but just change like their equipment or the tactics mm. they use. I think the example we discussed was using the cobalt so a group of five cobalts all run the same way is not not entertaining would you agree Mm. oh it depends okay how so do you can you can you give us the 30 second uh elevator pitch no because i want to keep going (laughs) okay um so the reason i talk about this is so in the example of the cobalts giving them a bow keeping them in foliage Ducking, hiding, disengaging, all those things make them artillery. But you can take the same gold ball and max out their hit points and turn them into a brute. Yep. Which is our uh, one of our other uh, categories. But some good example monsters that fill this, uh, uh, are the artillerist role, as is, would be what, Brandon? Drow Mage, Flame Skull, or Nothic? Yeah, those are actually some really good examples because they have a lot of versatility as far as ranged attacks and um, skill sets. Um, but once again, any sort of monster can fill that role as long as you give them the appropriate weapon to do so. Some mm-hmm. are better at it than others. A really great example is the <laughs> goblin, right? The goblin yeah. has the um, uh, the, uh, the nimble escape, which allows them to disengage as a bonus action, right? Yep. So by giving them, I'm going to say, okay, I've got two goblins in the group. I'm going to give them the artillerist feature. These other goblins, I'm going to give the brute. Um, so their sole job, we're going to max out their HP, and their job is going to be to defend the other um, kobolds, or the other goblins. So, uh, Garwin, can you tell us what a brute is, or what we classify well, as a brute? Uh, brutes are an interesting lot. They typically have low defense. This tends to be offset by high hit points, though, and deal superior melee damage. They tend to forego their own safety to hout a particular foe, or block an enemy from reaching one of their allies. This becomes a large threat as artillery can unload on a target while a brute keeps them engaged or restrained. They tend to not have too much in their arsenal, but what they what they do have can be brutal. <laughs> and for you Overwatch fans, this is Roadhog. <laughs> yes. Uh, so... Um, this is another one. So let's go back to using the Goblin or the Kobolds. I think because mm. keeping these on, in this category is really good. So mm. simply maxing out their hit points, because most people go by the average, right? Yep. Yeah. I think that's pretty expected. Uh-huh. So you yeah. could give the Artillerist the minimum number of hit points. Oh, yeah. You could give the Brute the maximum number of hit points. And a big axe. <laughs> and a big axe Glass to increase cannons. their impact of their attacks. Um, and so we even can better turn... if it's oversized and they can't wield it properly. Okay. 
an attack with disadvantage, maybe give them reckless, I guess. Um, but when you give the monsters these these rolls, we now have a more dynamic encounter. Just with these two rolls, you got five uh, characters. You got two regular goblins, one brute, and two artillerists is going to significantly change the way the combat unfolds. Definitely. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. Like, there's also a way to do it without this whole thing. You just give them all personality and all that, you know? That's one way. But this also does simplify the mechanics aspect. For sure. There are some really good monsters that we already have that fall into the uh, brute category. I uh, Owlbear comes into mind because that is very, just lots of hit points. And I think it has multi-attack too, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> what are some other ones, Brandon? Yeah, the ogre, the troll, mm-hmm. the berserker. What the hell is a hook horror? Okay, uh, you know what? I that don't one think you want to know. <laughs> hook horror, not hook horror. <laughs> <laughs> they look like bird-faced creatures with no... Their hands are just giant, razor-sharp hooked arms. So a oh, yeah. Bird. Yeah, praying mantis burn monster, yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, fun fact. The original uh, design for it looks just like Gigan from Godzilla. Of course it did. <laughs> Where'd your inspiration come from? Nowhere. Well, they actually, I think that they bought a box of miscellaneous like figurines and drew the armor off them. And one of them had to be Gaga from Godzilla. When they figured it out, I'm like, oh crap. <laughs> We're going to get sued. <laughs> All right. Um, so let's move on to the next one. So we've talked about the artillerist and the brute. The next one is one of my personal favorites, the controller. So if you don't know, controller <laughs> monsters tend to manipulate their enemies or the battlefield to their advantage. This can take on many different forms, So, but it often comes down to restricting movement, altering terrain, limiting the actions, or inflicting conditions that uh, weaken their adversaries. Now, uh, controllers are a large umbrella, right? <laughs> uh, oh, but yeah. in most cases, the, their uh, features and skills can change the tide of battle entirely. Um, so keep in mind, some of the controllers can be a bit complex at times, so you don't want to fill out an encounter with more than one or two of them, um, because otherwise you can find yourself kind of overwhelmed with all the options that your monsters have. So um, the most common controller is what? Come on, guys. A-Mage. Say- A-Mage, absolutely. Oh, okay. Yeah. What, you think- what were you thinking? I was thinking of some sort of a grappler. A grappler is another good one, right? Oh, yeah. That's... It- it doesn't matter how powerful the enemy is, if the mm. grappler pins your punk ass to the ground and you can't swing your sword, <laughs> oh, yeah. you do it at disadvantage. So to me, um, <laughs> to me, that's a very powerful uh, form of control. Mages can alter the terrain; they can mind control and literally control people. Are you okay? No, I, I just, I just the, a grappler pinning someone to the ground <laughs> by the pillow. I'm going in dry. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh geez. That's um, so terrible. It is. It's beautiful. Uh, all right. So, um, Ian, what are some of your thoughts on a controller? A good one can definitely screw with the party and definitely make things more difficult for them. And it certainly makes things more interesting and it makes them have to think more. Absolutely. And so, going back to our goblin example, right? Yeah. Um, we've now got. We've got five goblins still. We've got one brute, two archers. We got one controller, and then right one regular. So, how would you make a goblin a controller? Well, I'd probably give it a wand of entanglement. That's good. A wand of entanglement's a good option. What about you, B? Or a wand of thorn whip. Goblins. Thorn whip too. 
It's a good one. To be a controller? Yeah. yeah. Numbers. Number what? Numbers. A lot of them. Oh, so like they would just pile on somebody. Hmm. That's really less of one controller and just smearing them with that. Anyway. <laughs> so uh, I you would could also give You could also give a goblin gauntlet of ochre power and have him grapple people. Also, in, uh, uh, kudos to Garwin. If you're not already giving your monsters magic items to terrorize your players, that is the hands down the best way to acquire magic items. What do you think, Ian? That's definitely one way to go about it. Although you still don't get a two for it. Oh, anyway. well, you still have to wait, right? Look, look it's right here uh, from Oscar on uh, TikTok. A goblin that has a giant spider that just keeps throwing wet web. Hell yes! I'm down. <laughs> Get them all wet and sticky with that white stuff. I'm down for that. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> So uh, controllers are, are a big a deal. One. So yeah. even if it's as so much as giving just a net to them to lock uh, something down. If you watch our uh, our past class or classes match with the PvP, we learned that even a, a simple net can bring down a creature like a barbarian that has rage and advantage and still lock like them nets. out for several <laughs> several nets. rounds. That's always going to be a chance, right? That's going to be a thing that's going to happen. Yeah. And a net can do that. You can give a goblin a net. And make him a controller, not a very good one, but that, he would still fill that role. Uh, that's our OP. But we're also talking uh, about now how we just changed the dynamic of the encounter. Mm-hmm. Doing what? We gave a goblin a damn net. Like yeah. it completely changes the encounter. Yeah. So yeah. I think that leads a good uh, lead into the next one. Ian, do you want to tell us about defenders? Defenders often specialize in drawing the attention of enemies away from their allies. They so. typically have high defenses, hit points, resistance, or maybe a little bit of all the above. They typically give up doing excessive damage to ensure the characters are engaged to them. Defenders tend to have features that allow them to work very well with others, mm-hmm. often taking up a leadership role. And some examples could include like a knight, gladiator, hobbit, goblin captain, veteran. Yeah, those are good options. And mm. um, I think you're, you touched on to something really good there, because when you have a character that you design as the 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 defender this is a character whose sole goal is to absorb damage for some other wilds while the brutes can usually do take a lot of damage they usually focus on doing some melee damage as well um that's kind of an in-between but the defender's sole goal is to keep somebody else alive at the cost of themselves barbarians fill this role really really well um the hobgoblin that's an interesting choice i think um because now that i think about one of its abilities doesn't it just grab one of its minions and use it as a shield (laughs) (laughs) i don't think i thought about that when we were picking that well i mean hey you can you can use it as a shield for another one i still remember that level 20 bell royale we did that one time and the level 20 barbarian would not die yes (laughs) you cannot die Uh, what over 250 health and it was raging yeah (laughs) doubling it yeah makes it brutal um so those are really good. Now, keep in mind that regardless of what um, role your the character can choose, because many monsters can cover a multitude of roles, right? We've talked about that with the Goblin and Cobalt. Your goal here is when de- designing an encounter is to decide what that what role that monster is going to fill for that combat. Right, yeah. Mm. Brandon, why don't you tell us? Uh, so I, I do want to give one last shout out to uh, the, like, the knight. I think, is it, is it the knight that can... Um, using a, a ability called leadership that like grants like a uh, like a impromptu uh, uh, bardic inspiration. Uh, is that is that correct? I don't remember. Leadership. I believe so. 
It is leadership. That's the name of the ability. One minute. Can the other special commander warning whenever a non-hostile creature you can see within three feet makes an attack or saving throw? Can add a d4 to his roll? Darwin, what do you think about defenders? Well, I definitely like using them, you know? Like, usually, like, for example, with a knight, I changed him out to give him, like, a big-ass tower shield. I, like, tend to focus the tower shield to a little bit more, you know, AC if it's from front and the sides, but that's you know, just house, house rules. Right, right. But um, one thing important for the defender is the ability to also draw attention to yourself so that they go for you instead of someone else. Because you don't can't always, like, indeed, you can't always just step in front of someone and just not have them go go on your side and hit the guy behind you. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Now, is, isn't there an ability that forces uh, other creatures to have disadvantage on attacking other creatures other than yourself? Yeah. Protection I, believe allows the ancestral, you to... I believe the Ancestral Guardian Barbarian has that. Yeah, and I think protection allows you to impose disadvantage within within range if you have a shield. So yeah. there uh-huh. is there is something there. Yeah. Um so uh so that's another really good one. I think there are a bit of uh there's room to play in between the brute and the defender. They do find kind of, they do walk kind of a, a similar line. Um I want to also wait to have a hidden defender if you make him a duelist type of person. He looks yeah. like he wouldn't be a defender. It might be like a skirmisher or support, but mm-hmm. then you give him the defender role, so it's like they don't expect it. Right, right. That's actually and th- and that's part of it too, right? Mm-hmm. Just by assigning the roles, it can throw off the the character, the player characters themselves. Mm-hmm. I see uh, Dalcinius talking about gold- goading attack and the fighter specialist. Mm-hmm. We've talked before as a dungeon master tip, giving all the player player or the monsters some of the player features, right? Yeah. Um, I'm very notorious for giving my monsters access to battle maneuvers, um, and I love it. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, also, uh, something people don't always realize, when it comes to monsters, you don't really have to follow the rules. Nope. Like, for example, to you, can just, you, you yeah. can just give a duelist the ability to right. stab at someone who stabs at someone else beside him within reach. A kebab? Basically, like, like, let, like let's say a player hits his friend beside him. This duelist seeing that can just stab that player. I would prefer so he still has to, he still has to roll the hit, obviously, but, not know. the player. But uh, anyway, you know, you can stab. <laughs> You're going home with some stitches. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next one, the lurker. Brandon, can you tell us a little bit about the lurker? Yeah, lurker monsters tend to have a variety of abilities that allow them to avoid attacks. Uh, this can take the form of attacking from stealth. Most often, they usually like to go for the uh, weak guys and. Who are the weak people in parties? The healers usually. Healers, uh, mages, magic users, or a paladin. Those both those healers are just not. Don't, weak at just don't just don't get tricked by the cleric. Yeah. yeah. So they tend to spend their time stalking, learning capabilities of their prey, which is super important. And mm. this also allows them to enter battle with much as much information as possible. So, in other words, high play Reaper and Overwatch. It's fun. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so Ugh. this is really interesting because. When you have a lurker, it's more than just the stealth that you give rogues, right? Uh-huh. Um, it's more than that. Ankeg is a great <laughs> example, right? That thing isn't hiding. It's, nope. it's, it's just moving along under the ground and just bursts out in the middle of a camping night. And that's not something the spotter's going to probably see, right? Yeah, boy! <laughs> right? And I think that that's what makes it interesting. So when you do... You do, you know, have these uh, these roles when you're deciding which roles to go with. Having a mixture of these different roles, the lurker is a really, really good one because 
What do you guys think about having five goblins again? I keep going back to the goblins because we keep talking mm. about it. But you have two that are lurkers, and they don't join the battle until the next round. <laughs> when everyone thinks they're reversing three goblins. Like maybe they're hiding on the ceiling or something. Or in, uh, hiding on the ceiling, in a tree, in a bush. Or they're on a stalag. On a what? Stalagmite? Those ones that hang down? Stalagmite. might is hanging from the ceiling. No? Yeah, I don't know. I know. Okay. Like might tight, whichever one's hanging from the ceiling. They're just the pointy thing at the top. Oh. And once they see the players, they go tink with the hammer and they drop it on top of them. That's a really good example. And and I, I think Whee! it's cool because what happens the first thing around uh, round starts in combat? Everyone thinks this is all the enemies. Usually, yep. Oh yeah. And so they instantly uh, decide on the tactics that they're going to do, and that unfolds. This is going to work. Healer, stay behind me. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, here. What was that sound? But that's exactly the point, right? Uh, uh, stalactites grow down from the cave for clarification. Mm, um, okay. So if two lurker goblins jump out at the, the end of a first round, they immediately learn who the big smashy, smashy person is. They know who the wizard is. And more importantly, they know who's buffing or potentially providing support. So just by adding that, so let's go back to our five structure. We have one brute, <laughs> Two, uh, we're going to talk about skirmishers in a second, and two uh, lurkers. Hmm. That's going to change from having just five goblins. That attack. Oh, definitely. And actually, a good example of this is the Reapers of Ball that I used during the last Clash of Quests. Yes. Do you want to yeah. talk about that a little bit, just a smidgen? Uh, basically, they're like the assassin-type characters that can turn invisible, mm-hmm. and they also gain bonuses for sneak attacking. And they also can uh, charm person, disguise self, and they can even really screw you by casting Sanctuary. Yeah. Can't touch it. That was a fun round. Yeah, that was that was really good. So uh, there's a lot of monsters that can fall into this within the monster manual. The Ankeg, the Bulet. Oozes are one of my favorite, and I was devastated <clears throat> to learn. I have been playing gelatinous cubes wrong for my entirety of ever playing. Don't know their color? No, they they don't have spider climb. Do you have any idea how many yeah. times I've dropped gelatinous cubes on people from the ceiling and they don't have spider climb? Yeah. They do what you say they do. Right. Well, I mean, they, they <laughs> everything can climb, right? But I just like, I was so devastated. Anyways, um, so each of these monsters, whether it's a mimic or a roper, all these different things, they, they revolve around ambushing. And I think that uh, lurkers are best for that. Um, let's move you into You can hide goblins in pit traps. <laughs> let's move on to skirmishers uh do you want to tell us a little bit about skirmishers garwin sure skirmisher monsters use mobility to threaten the characters these mobile mm. strikers are in and about in a flash the defining feature is a powerful tool for building for building dynamic encounters they mm. utilize their speed to quickly dart in and strike vulnerable targets yeah, they, they are most often found alongside brutes or defenders, right, to draw away attacks that will threaten them. Um, the nature of brutes and defenders too often uh, are less mobile creatures. We talked about ogres, in, in, for instance. Um, and this gives the skirmishers the room that they need to really dart around the battlefield yeah. and get the most of it, right? A skirmish can also be a lurker. Yeah. Yes, and so that's... Uh, we I briefly touched on it earlier. Your your monster can have multiple roles. The idea is to try to narrow down what you want them to do. So you might say, okay, it's a lurker when it starts. It enters the battlefield, but then becomes a skirmisher, right? Yep. Um, and so I like skirmishers. We keep talking about goblins, Brandon. What's the what's the feature goblins have that lets them disengage? Is that um, 
Nimble Escape. Yep. Yeah. I think it's Nimble Escape. Um, so that allows them to disengage as a bonus action. So they can run in, skewer somebody, and then immediately get a distance out and away. And that's going to make the the uh, um, battlefield more um, mobile. And a lot of things darting around will change the way the players react, right? It, not, to mention, it, they all, they, not to mention, they very often write works. Yeah, <clears throat> they do. Yeah, they do. Yep. Um, how hard is it to uh, explode with fireball a group of goblins that just charge in? Very easy. It's fun. Oh yeah. Now what yeah. if one's a brute taking the full front and the rest are darting around the battlefield and getting in as far away from each other as they can? Mm. That makes fireball much less effective. What do you think, Brandon? I think you made the easy monsters of D&D the hard monsters of D&D. That's the way I monster roll. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so there's a lot of different uh, monsters that yep. kind of can fall under this category in the monster manual. Brandon, you want to kind of follow up with some of those uh, for the audience? Uh, spies, back. quicklings, uh, centaurs, minotaurs, or spine devils. Actually, uh, I'll go on and take off. I'll say quicklings. Yeah, quicklings well. are a really good one. Um, so mm. there's a lot of options already in the monster manual. But remember, you're not limited to just these features. You can give these. You can give features to any monster you want to even help fill these roles, which is awesome. Oh, yeah. Oh, this is good. Uh, uh, Malkara says, just because a monster has a low intelligence doesn't mean they're stupid and don't learn. I love that. Uh, and yeah. plus 10 cool points to you. Low in does not mean low wisdom. Yes. Yeah. I like, See, I have high intelligence, low wisdom. Like <laughs> a, you don't wisdom. need to be very smart to learn that putting your hand in the fire hurts. That's true. <laughs> um all right, so I think that'll lead us really good into the, the next one. Uh, Ian, do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, the supporters? The support role is one that tends to focus on helping the rest of his allies stay out of harm's way. They tend to keep their distance and apply aid, shielding, and or healing their allies. While they tend to be a big, weaker in offensive capabilities, they can significantly boost the resilience of their comrades to support spells like Bane, Bet Bless, Fairy Fire, and Aid. And I assume that Bane is applying them on enemies. Yeah, right, right. (laughs) Support tends to be weaker and avoid the front lines, and their support isn't limited to just spells. They can often often use poisons, traps, and other tools as well. And a few examples include Drow Priest of Loth, the Hagen Priestess, or Cult Fanatics. Yeah, uh, I really like support. This is kind of a, a, a catch-all, I think, because um, their whole goal, healers would fall under this role too, right? Oh, yeah. Um, which I think is a big one. Cure wounds, uh, healing word, whatever it may be. Um, what do you think, uh, Garwin? Well, it's definitely an interesting category that I unfortunately underuse too much that I need to start using way more. It mm-hmm. might be it might be why, why my players keep escaping with... Like with like one digit hit points every now and again. Um, yeah, uh, and there, you know what I learned going through this? There's not a lot of uh, monsters in the monster manual that can cast your wounds. Nope. Oh no, not a lot. I was disappointed in that. I'm going to be honest. Um, Though it, I don't remember where it states it, but it does state that when it comes to monster spell lists, their suggestions. Oh yeah. Yeah. Change them all the time. I do. Oh, yeah. That's part of our monster variants all the time. We change that shit. Um, so uh, support kind of covers this big ride role. I think every group should have at least one support, but you don't want to make it so obvious that they are, oh, that guy can heal. Go stab him. Because then it becomes a problem. I think if you're going to go the uh, like more healing route, 
having it treated more like a paladin or a cleric so it's not weak is a really good direction oh, yeah. to go. I was just well, figured out a great healing artillery. What's that? It's a big, strong strong dude who is just carrying a big-ass health potion that heals on contact and throws to break it. And then you just roll a d4 to decide which of these five squares it lands in to see if it heals your his allies or or your or his enemies. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, all right. So uh, uh, aside from changing out their spell list, um, that's probably the best way to get to a support that you want. Oh, yeah. um, the last one I want to talk about is leaders. Now, there are some monsters that can fill all of these roles in a battle all at once. Um, mm. I like to call these leaders. Uh, we want to consider these kind of like the elite monsters, right? These are the, the big bads uh, typically yeah. that we set as the big boss, right? Most common examples of these are dragons. Dragons can literally fill any of these roles because they can be stealthy as shit when they want to be mm. and dive from a thousand feet in the air and swoop up, can't carry your halfling <laughs> away, and you'll never know what Bam happened. Bomb! And here uh, comes a giant fist! <laughs> And um, not to mention that by lore, dragons are supposed to be around, you know, be casting sixth level spells or some such. Yeah. Um, I'm terrified no of Malkara's winged owl bears. <laughs> oh, no, no, that just. Um, so, you know, dragons, they have intelligence, they have flight, they have claws, they have magical breath. In addition, you can make any monster an elite in the group by simply maximizing its damage and its hit points. You're welcome. Um, there's so much you could do changing to a bigger damage weapon, <laughs> uh, and giving it different tools to at its disposal. And I'm not even saying magical weapons. We mentioned the goblin getting the, the net earlier, right? Uh, yep. so, uh, we recommend in an encounter, multiple monsters, keeping, uh, the elite monster <laughs> to no more than one. Um, cause you don't want it to be over overwhelming. Uh, and also it's hard to make single monster fights interesting. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, though I do have to say fifth edition did a really good job of legendary and re and, and layer actions. Yep. Right. Um, so, uh, so in your games, uh, this is going to be one of those. You will have to, uh, more or less encourage them to gather knowledge on the characters. Um, leaders uh, are, are going to be the ones that not only are monitoring what's going on, especially when their henchmen start disappearing, um, but they're also going to pay to get information. If you've never used Scry from your big bad on your players, you're doing it wrong. Um, but leaders don't have to be necessarily be the big bad in the group either, or the big bad themselves. They could be a squad leader, right? Somebody that has enough, uh, important information, but is the challenge, the big boss of the fight at level one, you can have a leader, right? It just, he has another boss above him. So, um, so overall, uh, as we close this out, um, Brandon, what are your overall conclusions about this? Oh, geez. I like it because it <laughs> separates uh, monsters that we're used to. Mm -hmm. You get you get your players, and you, like you like saying, you get five goblins to come in. Like we got five goblins, they're gonna do uh, uh um, what was it horde tactics or what, what have uh, they got? Pack tactics. Pack tactics. Yeah, do they have that. I'm pretty sure they do. Or is that kobolds? I think that's kobolds. kobolds. Yeah. Well, Anyways, your point still stands. Yeah, the five goblins are gonna do their thing. We know what to do, and then all of a sudden they come up and they hit this one, and it's like ping. <laughs> like oh he he whacked away your your warhammer with a, a shield and he glares at you in the in the eye and two of them disappear into the shadows 
You can hear them oh, lurking oh, around. Oh, 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 that's good. While in the background, you can see one casting some sort of magic that just brings out this ray of light. And dude, they're just goblins. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck is going on? I'm having a goblin slayer flashback right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, the two that were lurking. <laughs> but that's what I'm talking about. Um, just considering the role you want them to fill and deciding how to play them that way, it's as simple as changing their weapon and their tactics to make your story and encounter that much more dynamic. Like so, speaking like, of leaders, and you were talking about them spying on you know the players and whatnot, mm-hmm. it reminded me of when I you made a troll den mother and gave her the ability to cast arcane eye within her territory. Ooh. And on top of that, I gave her the ability to two times a day traverse through the trees within her territory with two other trolls. Mm-hmm. So the players entered the forest, killed a few trolls, you know, they were there for a day or so. Then they started noticing this grotesque looking eye floating about. They didn't know what the fuck it was at first until someone got an arcana check. Right. And then as they were just settling down to start rest. Suddenly, there were three trolls coming at them. Gotcha, bitch! Just out of the trees, literally out of them. I love it. I love it. And that's and that's a powerful tool, right? Mm. So, in the context yeah. of building dynamic combat encounters, the utilization of these monster roles will help you diversify your encounter, even if it's the same monster. So, not only yeah. causing you, uh, not only because you're adding a variety of monster types, but because each have their own solid tactics, even if they're the same monster. So making for a solid and memorable experience in your Dungeons & Dragons game, <laughs> keep in mind, this doesn't just apply to D&D. This can apply to any role-playing game that's got some sort of combat, right? You just yeah. say, okay, I want combat. I want to make it dynamic. Here are some tools. What do I classify to fill out these roles? Yeah. That's like, it. For example, you have Lizard Folk. You have a Swamp. You mm-hmm. you have a lurker controller. That was a good topic. Yeah, just give the lizard folk a whip that functions like wine. That functions like the spell wine whip. They whip the whip the players, drag them to them, and then hold them under the water with them. Oh, Get over oh, here! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. I like that. <laughs> All right, so I think that'll do it for our main topic today. Mm. Uh, before we move Shameless on, shameless plug. Before we Justin, move on to our honor and tips and tricks, you'll see this lovely book right here. Our Extraordinary Expedition book is live now. Um, I want to thank the hundreds of backers that helped bring it to life. Um, we couldn't have done it without you. Um, it's a big project. I want to take a moment to talk about some of the classes, subclasses that are actually in it. Um, we had a nice review by Rogue Watson that talked about how he really enjoyed the, uh, the the player option. So I wanted to tell you guys a little bit about it. Aside from the book containing containing ten flexible adventures, it came with I think four uh, subclasses, um, and one of them is uh, one of my personal favorites is a hunter like uh, ranger that can set traps. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we gave a really huge list of traps that you can set up and rules to plant them. It's one of those things that consumes like a, a short or long rest to set up. So it really does require a lot of planning to get the most out of it. But I'm telling you what, it is about so, so juicy and so rewarding <laughs> to go out of your way and, and build a trap and then lure the enemies into it. You literally can take a very dynamic combat encounter. Your DM has spent a good amount of time prepping 
and destroy it like that with your preparations. And who doesn't love destroying the DM's comfort encounters? <laughs> I'm gonna cry. Um, All you need is a good pit trap. Uh, and there's some other really good ones in there too. Uh, you gotta check it out whether you like playing the Sawbones wrong. That's a healer or the uh, ra- the archer wizard subclass, which is cool. So uh, that'll do it. Uh, let us move on to our honor tips and tricks because Ian looks like he's about to have an aneurysm. And now, what you've all been waiting for, our unearthed tips and tricks segment, where we bring you new and reusable material for both players and DMs. The Frost Maiden is a really, really fun one here. Um, you're mm. gonna. This is if you are, are not a patron, you can get the full lore, stat block, artwork, all that jazz. Um, we're gonna start with the stat block of the Incubus slash Succubus. We're gonna get rid of their fly, the telepathic bond, telepathy, pretty much everything that makes it a succubus. We're gonna change it around by giving it immunity uh. to a grappling condition. Uh, multi attack. The Frost Maiden can make two attacks. They do have daggers instead of. <laughs> Uh, what you would expect uh, a barbarian type creature to have. And we're going to give her nimble escape because we want our combat what? Dynamic. Damn right we do, Ian. She's got immunity to grapple because she's slippery. Yeah. You get it? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I am so glad somebody got that. Because it's a nice reference. Um, Chill. I'm going to give you that one. Chill. All right, what is the the next feature we give them, uh, Brandon? Uh, Don't have back tactics there, right? That's what I am. The Frost Maiden has advantage on the... On an attack roll against a creature, if at least one of the Frost Maiden's allies is within five feet of the creature and the yep. ally isn't incapacitated. You all know what bad tactics is. Absolutely. And we're going to give some daggers, which do fun stuff. Not only will it do the regular damage, dagger damage, it's also going to deal additional 1d4 cold damage. But wait, there's, there's more. more. And if the target speed is zero, it's caused by, by the effects of Tundra Lock, which is another feature we're going to talk about in a moment. This attacks Chris Crit Hand 18 through 20. Out. Justin, you're brutal. Garwood, what is Tundra Lock? Tundra Lock is a really fun feature. As a bonus action, the Frost Maiden can call on Winter's Power. It chooses one creature it can see within 60 feet. That creature must make a DC 15 strength saving throw. On a fail, the creature's speed is reduced to zero until the start of the Frost Maiden's next turn. On a success, the creature's speed is reduced by 15 feet instead. Oh, that's so they slowly regain their shit. Yep. yep. Uh, oh, yeah. Brandon, what is the reaction that we gave her? Uh, she gets mighty grip. <laughs> when a creature hits the Frost Maiden oh. with a melee attack while within five feet of it, the Frost Maiden can use its reaction to attempt to grapple the creature. Oh. Uh, she's immune to it, but you're not. Right? Yeah. Right. You can't be grappled, but she can choke a bitch. Um, all it right, makes overall. me think of those times as a kid when you, you, you lick a light pole. <laughs> it tastes electric game. <laughs> <laughs> like that. Well, dog dare you. All right. So, what are your guys' uh, thoughts on this 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 uh, this character? Firmly grasp this monster. It has a mighty grip that I believe many would like to experience. Oh Jesus! You can see the artwork. It's really nice. It is. Um, oh, so, yeah. uh, oh, there it is, right on the screen. Beautiful. Actually, will freeze your deck off. Move on. I'm an Icelander. I can take it. The core, the core of it is they attack in groups. Her dagger crits if she's frozen you with her tundra lock, and that is her goal to restrict you. Dart in and out with her not only pack tactics but nimble escape. You're surrounded by these these frost maidens, and they run in, they freeze you, they stab you, they run out, and you can't chase them because 
Your bitch is thunderlocked. Oh, yeah. It brings up an odd question. If you stand up with a really hot poker, it scarizes the, the wound. Can you do that with this sub-zero temperature weapon? I don't know. Do I look like a scientist? Damn it, dude. I'm a podcast host, not a scientist. Well, you can freeze the wound to basically get the same effect for as long as the wound is frozen. Yeah, bitch. Uh, it burns, too. All right. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, any other uh, comments on this before we move on? Uh, no, I like it. Yeah, me too. Um, oh, once yeah. again, our patrons get a full stat block and full allure and everything. I'm sure Garwin can tell you how pretty they are. Yep. Yep. They're absolutely right. fantastic. <laughs> let's move on to our encounter uh do you want to kick that off garwin sure let's see you get the patron missing persons memories sartrine penguin that's the user who made it oh yeah the adventurers wake up at their base tavern camp as normal it is not until they begin to interact with regular npcs that they are informed a member of their team is missing any mm. persistent questioning pertaining to their most recent adventures leads to DC 13 Wisdom Saving Throw or take 1d6 Psychic Damage per question. That is interesting. <clears throat> if the character continues <clears throat> through the lead, they find that the research stu- uh, study hidden in an alcove along the coastline. Upon arrival, they wake up in their normal way, though this time they are aware of having searched the coastline for something. If any kind of questioning pertaining to the party member for the previous quest persists, they experience a mental assault and must succeed on a DC-13 with save again or take 2d6 uh, psychic damage. If they persist a second time, they agree by the owner of the research study. A flump. (laughs) This scholar, Benny, has lost their mate, being the victim of an agent purge performed long ago. Uh, if they continue to research, it's revealed that the incident occurred long before the time of the reigning kingdom, uh, before the world broke and was reformed. Each time they progress to the next level, the party receives the benefit of a short rest. That's interesting. The flump has one legendary action. With it, they can choose to remove any number of occupants of their lair to a place they last took a long rest. This also creates the occupying. Uh, this also erases the occupying time and obscures the leading half of an hour of memory. Oh. This is very much, uh, we went and did this thing and forgot. Yeah. And yeah. that's intriguing because I can see some players find like, well, okay, that was weird. Let's go do a different job. Cause I don't think I like this. Um, but I think that it's just an innocent flump is very interesting. Uh, if you don't know, it's like basically a, a living area, flying jellyfish. Pretty much. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's really, uh, it's, I love the creatures. They're beautiful. Yeah. What do you think about this encounter, Garwin? It's definitely one that I want to run. And it's reminding me of the entire premise in a, in a world I made for one of my groups. Mm-hmm. The premise is basically a false hydra has eaten everything and everyone on every single continent except a little tiny one. And the entire world that's left there has forgotten about everything out there. The false hydra's <laughs> dead. And the gods are terrified, so they're trying everything they can so that those on the little continent don't realize the false that did this because they think it might wake up if, if, they, if they know about it. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So basically, the world's only 230 years old, according to the residents. And elves don't, and elves, or neither elves or dwarves, know that they aren't immortal. Right, right. I love it. Uh, I love it very much. All right. Uh, do you guys have anything to comment on this? I know he doesn't because he <clears> wants to go. 
Wow. It's, okay. It's just like, oh, this is your last uh, autosave point. <laughs> That's, that makes me think of. You know how pissed you would be if you were in a game and that happened? Like, you just oh, keep yeah. restarting and don't know why. I'd be so pissed off. All right. Uh, I want to take a moment to uh, thank uh, Sartre and Penguin for submitting this. Uh, what an awesome patron. Uh, that'll do it for our encounter. Uh, Brandon, would you like to tell us about our magic item? Uh, our magic item comes from a patron named Zambu. <laughs> uh, SARS Cube. Of, I don't know. Zambu. Zambu. I don't know. Uh, SARS Cube of Concentration. It's a wondrous item. And it's very rare. And it requires a two minute by a spellcaster. So if you're a fighter, eh, tough shit. <laughs> a small clear cube that contains dark blue and green swirling arcane energy. The frame of the cube is adamantine and the sides are clear. On four sides are unique sigils. And on the other two sides, one is blank and the other one's a skull. The cube stores powerful spells, which as an action, the character may throw the cube up to 60 feet and release its power. It's cool. It's also a D six. It's a die. Yep. Oh, <laughs> and then what? Must immediately cast a spell corresponding to the number rolled. No concentration required by you. The spell will be cast using the character's spell save DC. It must be at the spell's lowest level. The number cannot be used to cast a sp- that spell again until next dawn. And there's six options: blindness, deafness, kind of badness, madness, really haste, phantasmal oh. killer, critical power. And the target can cast a sword spell. Nice. So when the cube is first attuned, and each uh, at each day at dawn, the character can attune to the can sto- roll a d twenty. On a sixteen or higher, the character can choose any spell from their spell list, including ones that they have not prepared or learned. Um, that's weird. Uh, I would say not prepared <laughs> to imbue into the cube onto the blank side, which creates a sigil based on the spell. This spell uh, will be cast at the highest level the character can cast it without expending a spell slot. That's kind of strong. On the roll of five or lower, the DM will roll on the wild magic table and the effect will be stored. Never mind, I take it back. Wow. (laughs) And And the character does not know uh, what effect is stored. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I love that. What do you think about this, Garwin? I want to use this so bad. As the player. <laughs> I just want to keep using it. I keep getting wild magic effects and I just not know what the fuck's happening. <laughs> yeah. I like how the fact, the fact it has haste on it, you might actually cast it on the enemy. Oh, uh, shit. Also, I didn't even think this about might be that. fun for an Eldritch Knight. Oh, yeah. And I, lo- I love the theme for like any sort of like uh, bard or anybody with the entertainer background. Yeah. I think would be a oh, lot yeah. of fun. You insane? Do you understand the chaos that would ensue? What? You want six of them? I want six of them. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's a pretty straightforward magic item. I really enjoy it. Uh, At first, I was kind of concerned, but I forgot about the the random wild magic thing. Chaos. uh, I want to say thank you to Patron Zambo for submitting it. The SARS Cube of Concentration. Garwin, would you like to tell us about our Dungeon Master tip of the podcast? Sure thing. Exit stage left. When you put your players in an impossible-to-win fight that they are meant to run from, or when you have an NPC who has just had enough of their crap, <laughs> have them throw a beetle force and entrap your players' characters in the resulting sphere. Because that sphere magically weighs only one pound, regardless of contents, even characters, this filled object weighing between one and five pounds can now be the target of a catapult spell. 
That's launching the party caught inside up to 90 feet away, possibly through a doorway or lodge window, and potentially dealing damage to all inside. Or a ledge. Or Let's pit. get the fuck out of here! <laughs> oh my goodness! I love this! And this is from Patron Gilhelm Goblinbane. Yeah, thank you so much for this submission. This is genius, and I'm gonna be honest, I think I've got a few players uh, that I could use this on that really, uh, really need it. Am I one of them? No, actually. <laughs> I was actually thinking... Uh, God, do, it. do it! Do it, you coward! <laughs> Can you imagine that? Because there's strong enough creatures that would have this in, in, in Ravnica. Oh, yeah. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. Uh, this is a really Ooh. cool idea. I love it. It's a really great way to deal with the arrogant players uh, who their characters just do whatever they want. And finally come up against somebody who's like, you know what? <laughs> and sign up. Get shrunk into a bead and then blown out into a I just, that's amazing. That is awesome. I love it. And oh, I think beautiful. Exit Stage Left is great. What do you think, B? I think it's funny as hell. How embarrassing would that be? What happened to you? I died. Yeah. Ow. I talked some shit and he sent me flying out a window. <laughs> All right. I think that'll do it for our Dungeon Master tip. Uh, exit Stage Left from Patron Gil. Always do it to the monk. I like that. You going to say something? Nope. Okay. Uh, all right, so our uh, player tip of the podcast is don't, don't be a dick. Don't jerk. Huh? Impressive. That's that's the closest we ever came to all saying at the same time. <laughs> Alicia implied we should change that because a lot of our tips are now making you a dick. Yep. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I don't know that I disagree with it. <laughs> so let's talk a be little a bit. Let's talk a little bit about the werebore. Um, you mean werebear? Werebear. What did I say? Werebear? <laughs> yeah. The werebear. The werebear. <laughs> Is that like a care bear? The werebore bear. Winnie the Pooh on steroids. Oh, I see. Sometimes you. <laughs> sometimes we just want to play a brutal, savage, bestial hunter character. <laughs> oh, bother. Well, with this, <laughs> with this combination, your dungeon master will find your combo unbearable. Oh, God. It's like ah. Okay, I'll, I'll see myself. <laughs> But in all seriousness, <laughs> this combo is just crazy strong. Um, so in order to build a brutal werebear uh, character, you're going to want to start with the shifter race. This specifically is the longtooth subrace. I think I classically that's wrong. Uh, this allows us to shift once per short or long rest. Um, so not only do we get access to dark vision, which is awesome. But we also get proficiency in the perception skill, which is great for hunting. So already the animalistic features are coming into play, right? You can see at night and you can sniff the sniff butts and shit. On top of that, when you shift, you gain temporary hit points. This buffs our defenses and the long two subrace gives access to an unarmed bite attack that deals 1d6 plus our strength mod as a bonus action. As a bonus action. Yeah. Now, this was already pretty brutal. Using a staff, you can now do a d10 plus your strength mods on top of the bite. Yarr. Monks will be a bit jealous. Now we can pick the druid class. <laughs> the moon druid in particular. At level 2, which allows you to wild shift to a brown bear. While in this form, you gain an average of 34 hit points. And because you're a shift into your wear form, those features carry to your new form. Nice. Both the bite and the temp HP. This is on top of the HP you get from wild shaping. Now you can make two bear attacks as an action that fell up with a bite from your shifter form, meaning three melee attacks. 
One turn. Level two. That seems OP. <laughs> <laughs> but wait, there's more. If but you're willing... Ugh, really, there's more? Yeah, there if is. you're willing to stall the transformation a turn, you can also concentrate on spells while wild-shaped. Uh-huh. This means we can even delve further into the making our brutal form even more terrifying. Rawr. The brown bear's AC is only 11. That's not any That's good. That's pretty low. We can do better than that. Yeah. Oh, my God. An enemy can cut through that pretty quick. Well, if you cast bark skin on yourself, it becomes 16. That's the same as chain mail. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> and this right, is to go good. even further beyond. <laughs> Let's <laughs> become the bear bear. <laughs> Killer care bears. <laughs> All right, uh, what do you guys think about this? Uh, just grizzly. It's just grizzly. God, I'm gonna be honest. Amazing. I want to play this just to see how frustrated I can make the DM. <laughs> I, I think we might be losing listeners because their DMs are saying, "Don't listen to this podcast." <laughs> <laughs> The reason it doesn't grow is everyone's like, I'm not telling my players about this show. They keep giving them broken <laughs> builds and shit. <laughs> I think I keep it to myself. Um, I really like this. <laughs> Obviously, three attacks at second level is pretty brutal. Mm. I mean, considering that the barbar- reckless barbarian can only get two, that's pretty powerful. And your temp HP, and you get an extra HP pool, and you get dark vision, and you get perception skill. I mean, it's just, I can see why it's unbearable. <laughs> the, the Berserk Barbarian doesn't get three until level five. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's brutal. That's savage. I guess that's what we were going for, though, right? So I guess oh, yeah. you succeeded. You've successfully made the bear bear. Tim, stay after the show. That stuff gets Justin's bag hard. <laughs> He'll tell you how to do it. <laughs> All right. So, uh, any any other uh, comments on this besides the the DMs hate Justin? DMs hate Justin. <laughs> Some DMs love Justin. Aw. Some. Not enough. I love Justin. Tell my players listen to his shit. <laughs> <laughs> I a wear bear. Have you been listening to my show? <laughs> uh, all right, I think that'll do it for our player tip of the podcast. Please Don't. be a dick. Don't. Don't. That'll do it for our player tip of the podcast. Please Don't. be a dick. No, we're okay, not doing fine. That. All right, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. <laughs> all right, that'll do it for our player tip. Don't, Don't be, be a dick. dick. Don't be adjusted. Don't be adjusted. <laughs> <laughs> Only Trump don't be Play the werebear and, and become a defender and protect your team. Hmm. Uh, all right. Uh, that'll do it for our show. But before we close out, we always like to give away <laughs> weekly fat loots. And I can't, I'm sure Brandon is absolutely going to love this one. Would you like to tell us what our weekly RPG fat loot giveaway is today, B? Uh, I'm assuming this is because this episode will release at the beginning of June. And June is LGBTQ month. Sounds it's, like somebody's it's, it's got pride, some forethought. Fourth it's, it's Pride Month. Uh, RPG Fat Loot Giveaway. Queer. <laughs> Look at me, <laughs> I love it. Oh, my God. Queer Coded. Oh. A book of queer villains and hell-bent schemes. Gold bestseller. Queer Coded characters from D&D's long history, reimagined and bewitching color by queer artists and reclaimed uh, for good or evil 
uh, jam-packed with gay agendas, bent campaign arcs, lairs, locations, and lovers. A book of unapologetic antagonists Yeah, exploring what it means to be a villain. And the artwork and the <laughs> stories are amazing. Who is our winner today? Uh, our winner today is Tau Lover 5 5. If you didn't win, no problem. Head on over to CritAcademy.com and subscribe for your chance to win. If you enjoy the show and want to support us, visit, visit us at www.CritAcademy.com. Follow us on social media and leave us a review. Garwin, I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, you're one of our biggest supporters uh, as an Emerald patron, and I have enjoyed torturing your character. Oh, it's, um, got, it's been an absolute blast. <laughs> And I want to thank you for joining us. Um, with that, I am your host, Justin. I'm your guest, Garvin. I'm your co-host, Ian. I'm your co-host, Brandon. Thanks for listening. Keep, Keep your blade sharp. sharp and and spell it there, Damn it. Brandon has went to the tweet the stream and now it's all echoing. <laughs> right? Where's your volume at? Down right there. So that's the wrong way. Oh, God.